today being the feast of Saint Leo, the gospel is taken from the 16th chapter of Saint Matthew. <clears throat> At that time, Jesus, having come into the district of the Caesarea Philippi, began to ask his disciples, saying, Who do men say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then Jesus answered and said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to thee, but my Father in heaven. And I say to thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I'll give thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Today's feast is a celebration of one of the great popes with which Christ has blessed his church, Leo called the Great. He was of aristocratic origin and as befitted his rank at the time, he was an ambassador for many parts of the empire. He was elected a deacon of the church, and on the death of the Pope in 440, he was elected unanimously by the clergy of Rome as pontiff. And immediately he set himself the task of securing the church. We are talking at a very difficult time in church history, all times are difficult, some more than others, but at that time there were many threats to the, um, the autonomy of the church. The empire had been split, the emperor lived in Constantinople, the bishop of Constantinople claimed to be the head of the church simply because he was bishop of the most important city. And St. Leo withstood him, maintaining, in fact, that the, the, head, the, the, the head of the church was none other than the one Christ had selected and his successors, namely the Bishop of Rome. And then he spent a great deal of his pontificate writing to the various bishops and the emperors, correcting many errors that were creeping into the church. There were, in particular, the, the question of the heresies, in, in particular, the divinity of Christ. Is he God? Is he man? Is he a mixture of both? Does he have a divine will? Does he have a human will? Does he have no will at all? What of his soul? And all of these. And Saint Leo was with remarkable clarity able to clarify a lot of these issues and in particular the Council of Chalcedon, which made it abundantly clear that in Christ there were two wills, a human will and a divine will. 
And then on the political front, he was able to resolve many of the problems that the church was facing, in particular the attacks of the barbarians. And of course there's the famous story of Attila, who was marching on Rome with a huge army, threatening to destroy the city. And Pope Leo, there are, there are many stories, um, but the, 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 one of them was that Pope Leo rode out, this certainly is a historical fact, on a, on a donkey and spoke to Attila, who agreed to withdraw and left the region, left Italy. This much is historical fact. The question is, why did Attila leave? There are some who argue that there was shortage of provisions. He didn't have sufficient food to maintain the, the war. Others, that plague had broken out in his camp. But still others said that Attila saw two men, two priests actually, standing behind the Pope, one of them with a sword and looking very angry and threatening to um, decapitate Attila, which of course um, would suggest St. Peter. He's the one who carries the sword and is known to be rather anxious to decapitate people. But whatever the story, the truth of the story, it is certain that Pope Leo defended the church in its most critical time. His pontificate lasted some 21 years, but he left us a vast library of writings, of letters, and a great deal of spiritual material, which is relevant even today, and is, is certainly well worth reading. His legacy is such that he was the first pope to be given the title, The Great. He, Leo, was particularly anxious to defend the prerogative of the Bishop of Rome. He recognized that the unity of the Church depended on him. It should also be mentioned he had a particular devotion to St. Peter, even before he was elected Pope, and he asked that his body might rest close to that of the Apostle. But his devotion to, um, to St. Peter wasn't based on sentiment, but rather on the reality of what Christ had done. Our Lord well knew that we need a visible head. That much is obvious. We cannot even organize a rugby team and hope to win if we don't have a captain. It just doesn't work. We need someone who will take charge, someone whom we can follow, someone whom we can have confidence in. And so the Lord chose, of his own free will, this one man who loved him. We could even say that Peter loved Christ more than the others, because Peter boasted of this, even if all these, Lord, desert you, I will not. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these others do? 
he hesitated and said, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. But he no longer dared compare himself with others. But he knew that he loved Christ as much as his human nature would allow him. And that, I suppose, is true for all of us. We can only love our Lord to the degree our human nature allows us, unless the Lord himself gives us the grace to love him more. And we need to remember also that we cannot love Christ just with our human ability. We have to love him as he's loved us. That's what he's commanded us. And we can only do that with the aid and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the love Christ offers us is a divine love. And so we offer him back this very same love, which is that of the Holy Spirit. So our Lord, having chose, chosen the twelve, now decides it is time to select one of those twelve, whom he would establish as head. And it wasn't just a matter of selecting the one, but he had to make it obvious, evident to the eleven, that this selection, this choice, was not built on any human feeling or preference, but by a, a direct selection of the divinity of God the Father. And so taking the apostles aside, away from the influence of the Pharisees, of the Jews, we're told, come into Caesarea Philippi, he began to ask his disciples, saying, who do men say the Son of Man is? He doesn't say, who do men say I am? No, who the Son of Man is. He leaves it very broad, not wishing to draw attention to himself. What is the people's, the common folks, what is their opinion about the Son of Man that Scripture um, mentions, for instance, the book of Daniel? I saw one like the Son of Man coming, for instance. So the people, the, the Jews, they were familiar with the scriptures, they would be thinking in anticipation of the coming of the Son of Man. So he says, who do they say this is? And that's why the crowds, the, the multitude, the ordinary people could say, yes, well, John the Baptist, or Jeremiah, or Elijah, or one of the prophets. And the Lord then narrows the question. Okay, we know of the Son of Man in Scripture, we know what the people think, but me, what do you think of me? Who do you say I am? Am I also considered by you to be the Son of Man? And they're all silent until Simon speaks up. Thou art the Christ. The Christ meaning the Anointed One, therefore the Son of Man. But he doesn't just leave it there. The Son of the Living God. So he gives our Lord a double title, the Anointed One, the One who is to come, and then he adds the Son of the Living God. To which our Lord immediately responds, Blessed art thou, Simon, son of John, 
for flesh and blood does not reveal this to thee, but my Father in heaven. Our Lord now begins to express to what has happened. He puts into words what has happened in the soul of Simon. Blessed, that is, you are well spoken of in heaven. Simon, which is his name. Bar-Jonah. Bar is the, the Hebrew, the, the Aramaic, for son. Jonah, son of John. Who's John? John means dove. It also means grace. So son of grace, or son of the dove, who is the dove? But surely the Holy Spirit. What our Lord is doing, he says, you have said, I'm the son of the living God. I'm saying that you are son of John. John could well be Simon's father. But it is no coincidence that John is also the dove. So there's a play on words. And that play on words is also going to come in the change of name. But even more, our Lord goes on to say, Flesh and blood does not reveal this to thee, but my Father in heaven. So he's saying that this revelation, the Son of the living God, has been given directly by the Father. Now if we are familiar with our scriptures, we remember two other occasions when our Lord was called Son of God. The first was when Nathaniel was called. And as Nathaniel comes to our Lord, the Lord says, Ah, here is an Israelite worthy of the name, incapable of deceit. And Nathaniel said, Rabbi, how do you know me? He said, Before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. And Nathaniel said, You are the Son of God, the King of Israel. Our Lord said, you say this just because I said I saw in the fig tree, you see greater things than that. Why did he say to Nathaniel, blessed are you? On another occasion, they were in a boat, there was a storm. And the Lord stood up and he calmed the storm with a single word. Be quiet. And the disciples said, you are the Son of God. Why didn't he say they were blessed? Because we can say the Son of God in two different ways. We could say it, yes, we're the Son of God, but Adam is called the Son of God, isn't he? And some of the prophets are called sons of God. And the angels are called sons of God. Yes, God created them out of nothing, and they are sons of God by adoption, as we are children of God by adoption. And this is what the apostles meant, this is what Nathaniel meant, that you're particularly close to God. But what Simon Peter meant, or rather what was revealed to him, was that Christ is the Son of God, not by adoption or by accommodation, 
but truly, substantially, of the same nature. And that's why our Lord immediately compares him, as you are the son of Jonah, so am I the son of God. That's why it's a revelation. It's not something that could be arrived at by human reasoning, by flesh and blood. Just as Thomas, unless I can put my finger in the holes and my hand in the side, I refuse to believe. And our Lord gave him the proof. Put your finger, put your hand in my side. And, and Thomas would make that leap of faith. My Lord and my God. Thomas had proof. He says, you believe because you can see me. Because you have evidence. Because you have touched. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And this is the case of Simon. He did not see, but he believed. And then there is even more to come out of this. For the Lord goes on. I say to thee that thou art Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Our Lord changed his name. There are only two other persons in Scripture whose names were changed. The first was Abraham, from Abraham to Abraham. And the second was Jacob to Israel. In the case of Abraham, he was to be the father of all those who believe. Hebrews, Jews, as well as Gentiles. All those who believe and therefore belong to God. All those who were the sheep. The second, Jacob, he was to be the father of the Israelites. Not the Gentiles, but the Israelites. Now Christ is going to bring the two together in one church and therefore the head of the church. He changes his name so that it becomes rock. In being the rock, Christ is confirming Peter in his own ministry. That is, the one who is to declare the truths, the eternal truths that give life. On this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Against what? They will not prevail against the church. They cannot prevail against the church. Now, Again, as Catholics, I believe we tend to be too passive. The gates of hell are static, they're down there. We should be attacking the gates of hell because the gates of hell will not stand, withstand our attack. The gates of hell cannot come and attack us. We have to move and we have to assail and we have to destroy the gates of hell, which is what our Lord did by his death and resurrection. He went down and broke the bronze gates and he freed those who were trapped, the fathers who were in prison, awaiting his resurrection. And this is what the body of Christ, the church, also has to do. How will we do this? Again, the Lord tells us, 
I will give to thee, Peter, the keys of the kingdom of heaven, so that whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Which is the power over sin. Each of us, by our sins, throw ourselves within the gates of hell. We submit once more to slavery, to Satan. Only the Church can free us. And therefore, we appeal always to the Church to intercede for us and to pray for us. In other words, we pray for each other, which is essentially the communion of saints. So we today need to pray more than ever for the successor of Blessed Peter, the successor of this great Pope Leo, whose feast we celebrate, asking the Lord to allow the Holy Spirit, the Dove, to guide him so that he is not afraid to break down the gates of hell and to declare sin where sin is and to declare virtue where it truly is. This is what we need to pray for and pray ardently and fervently. Let us ask Saint Leo to inspire also a love of Peter in the heart of Francis our Pope so that Francis, leading us faithfully, might himself be counted among the saints, and we with him. Saint Leo, pray for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.